This is Mental Maps, a podcast about navigating the mind. My name is Dr. Josh Waddell. I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner, mental health counselor, and host of this show. The content of this show is focused on creating a better understanding about the mind and how you can achieve optimal well-being. Welcome back to Mental Maps. I hope this finds you well, no matter what season that you're in. Uh, if you're in a season of change, I hope this is something that you can take and, and utilize in your life as you're on this journey as we're going to jump into a concept of self-control. Real quick note about the podcast. If you haven't yet, check out our Instagram at Mental Maps Podcast. We're able to connect with you. We're posting some content on there. So I really would re- recommend that you follow us, be able to reach out to us. We'd love your feedback and just kind of what you're looking for from the podcast, maybe what episodes you want, and we'd just love to connect with you. So as we jump into the podcast, two quick things. One is a disclaimer. I am not a guru in self-control. So I'm not a, a monk or a yoga master, someone who's achieved this like self-actualization state where I'm able to control myself all the time. Rather, I'm a clinician, someone who has worked on people with their self-control and seen what poor self-control can lead to. I've done a lot of work in my own life on self-control, just trying to be a better human. And that's kind of what we're going to speak about and speak through today. If you go out and you look at different things, there are people who has achieved a profound amount of self-control, whether it be through yoga, whether it be through mindfulness and jujitsu, through certain religions, whatever that is, there are people who have great self-control. But we're going to speak to this from a perspective of the research and the science and what we as humans do and what I've done over time. And the second thing is, as we jump into this, understanding maybe where this this episode was created. So this episode began to be formed back in December. Um, My wife had, my wife and I, we make stockings every year for Christmas for one another. And in my stocking this year, there was this journal and the journal on the front of it said, psychiatric evaluations of my dog. Now, if you don't know my wife and I, we have a small puppy. Her name is Willow. She's like four and a half pounds, full grown, of just fur and energy. And she's crazy. And she just runs around and she responds to all things. And she's just kind of a wild animal sometimes. Either way, that made me think, like, what does make her different? Like, what is what makes Willow Willow? And that kind of led me to why is animals different than humans and I really began got down this rabbit hole and so that was kind of the fostering of this episode and so we're going to kind of base some of it on that because what does make a human different than an animal we yes we can contemplate the meaning of life so that is a major thing that we can do but in that part of creating meaning of life which we're going to talk about that in a second that part of the brain also has what's called self-control and decision making and we can make rational decisions and that I believe is a major factor in what separates us from being an animal. So as we open this up, what is self-control? If you look it up, there's numerous definitions of what self-control is. You know, if you can take it just straight from the words themselves, it's controlling of the self. So it's your ability to control yourself. But that can look a lot of different ways. It looks behaviorally, it looks mentally, it looks emotionally. Like what, like what is that? And so I believe a, a great definition is very applicable to what we're going to discuss today is self-control is the management of the brain's value system. Meaning that this is you 
managing what you hold dear. The value system is what you as a human hold dear and is important to you. If you remember from other podcasts, we've talked about how the brain is always attaching meaning to different concepts in life. And so this is you managing these things that you hold value, high value or low value, and being able to manage your own behaviors based on that. And so we can think like, where does this come from? I think it's important to know the biology of this. We're not going to give a biology lesson because that could be kind of boring. But there is a really important concept in this and and why I think it's good to know. So self-control really comes out of what's called the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe is in the front part of your brain, sits above the eyes in in the front part of your cranium, goes to about your temporal lobe, which is where your temple's at. And so that, we have two lobes, and so... These two frontal lobes really are dictating all decision-making, rational decision-making in our life. In that, there's a part called the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex not only does higher-level decision-making, but is where self-control comes from and what is fostered. We know that your frontal lobe is not fully developed until you're 25. So if you have a lot of interactions with teenagers and kids, this is why they do things that make absolutely no sense because their frontal lobe is not fully developed sometimes. And so it makes the reason why they maybe respond emotionally different than we would as an adult or they do things. It's a reason ultimately that there's age restrictions on things. And we'll kind of go to why those age restrictions exist because your frontal lobe isn't developed. We know that there are are illnesses where the frontal lobe is damaged or it's not working properly, disorders such as attention deficit disorder, hyperactivity disorder, where a person has an abnormality or poor functioning in their frontal lobe where they have poor impulse control or they can't focus. We know that there are people who have anger issues to where their frontal lobe will shut off when they become very elevated. And so now they're yelling, screaming, saying things they don't mean, getting in physical fights because their frontal lobe isn't working And so the frontal lobe is really where all of this occurs. How we know this, and probably one of the best examples that we've seen, it was a great research in what the frontal lobe is, comes out of the 1800s, actually. Um, If you took a general psychology class, you're going to remember this. If you didn't, this will be a really fun fact to know. So in 1848, there was a guy by the name of Phineas Gage. He was a railroad worker. And they were building the railway one day, and during that time there was an explosion, and that explosion resulted in a railroad spike, railroad spike, going through Phineas Gage's head. And when it went through the head, it went through the bottom part of his head, underneath his jaw, through the head, into the, through the cranium, and it separated his frontal lobe from the rest of his brain. And what began to happen for Phineas was that he then lost all the ability to control himself. And from the writings of that time, there's reports of him becoming kind of a wild animal. He was very impulsive. He became an alcoholic. He could not manage himself in any way. And he ultimately lost his job as a railway worker. He ends up in the circus, and he died at like the young age of 36. So very sad story, but was very important for us in the world of psychiatry and neuroscience now, understanding that the frontal lobe was that important to his functioning of the brain. And we know that... If you have good functioning in your frontal lobe, you're more likely to be successful. So another experiment that was done uh, was conducted in late 60s, early 70s in Stanford. It's pretty uh, kind of a famous one for another reason. So it was called the marshmallow experiment where they gave children a marshmallow and they said you can have one marshmallow 
now or wait 15 minutes and get two marshmallows later. And so they were being unable to see if they could delay their gratification and ultimately have self-control. And what they found 10 years later when they followed up with the kids who were able to do this was that the kids who were able to delay the gratification and get the two marshmallows after the time had allotted, they had better academic performance, they were more higher achievers, they were better socially, and they were just all around more successful as a human being in their social norm setting. And so it showed us that not only does this part of the brain regulate our ability to do this, but if we have it, we're going to be successful. And if we don't have it, if we can't delay our gratification, then we're going to find ourselves falling into a lot of things. And so when we think about it from as a human standpoint, we all experience this in some form or fashion. So think about it. On high levels, as we said earlier, you have the ADHD experiences, you have the people who can't control themselves. And extreme examples, you see this in just terrible addictions, whether it be to drugs, whether it be to behaviors, whatever that is. It's just something that they're doing. But we also see it in just your basic everyday life. It's the person who walks through the break room and can't go past the donut without grabbing one. It's the person who is at the restaurant and can't go past the candy bowl without getting some. It's the person who goes to the store and can't go through without buying something. It's the person who starts watching a Netflix show and can't stop until the series is over with. It's the person who gets on social media and begins to scroll and two hours pass and they don't know why. It's the ability to do control or to not control in any form of behavior that's based on your value system. And so why does this happen? Why are people just really good at controlling themselves while others aren't? We all, you know, most of us can control ourselves in social settings, but why are we unable to control ourselves in other settings? Why are we unable to control ourselves in certain behaviors? And we know that the reason for this is the hijacking of our value system. As we said earlier, self-control is the management of your value system. However, that value system can be hijacked. There are tons of reasons why your value system can be hijacked. It can be hijacked due to your past. It can be due to life experiences. It can be due to your family of origin. It can be due to your tribe. It can be due to whatever you're experiencing as a human. Your hijacking can occur. It can be due to what the substance is. We see this especially in addiction where certain substances create a heightened hype and dopamine experience. And so you become profoundly dependent on that. And so... This can be hijacked. And the reason it can be hijacked is many people's value systems are predicated on the management of dopamine. Now, this is not a podcast on dopamine. I think that would be a great podcast for another time, but we are going to highlight it quickly. So when we look at dopamine, I'm going to reference a lot of the work by Dr. Amy Lemke, who is based out of Silicon Valley, has done a lot of great addiction work, and discusses One, how dopamine exists in the world of pleasure and behavior and control, but then also how it becomes hijacked. And one of the things that we know is that dopamine has two sides. It's a two-sided coin or even a a saw, as she explains it in some of her books, is that you have the side of pleasure and the side of pain because what goes up must always come down. 
we see this in addiction all the time the person who uses a substance has the euphoria and it always comes down but it also happens on profound subconscious levels that we may not even notice as a person who eats the donut and feels it and then can crash on it sometimes it's because of the sugar but sometimes it's because the dopamine crash and so we'll crave it and we want another and we want another or it's the person who gets that elevation from looking at social media and when they shut it down or they run to the end of their feed they're like oh man that now I got to do something different. I got to I got to find something to do, and it can be somewhat anxiety provoking. Or if they don't have that experience, they don't have their phone, it can be anxiety provoking. So we have the pleasure pain principle, and when we become hijacked, our pleasure pain pain principle is imbalanced, meaning that we are focusing too much on the pleasure, or we are experiencing too much pain that we can't control. And so when we can't manage these two experiences together. We then find ourselves placing high value on the behavior that takes us out of pain and creates that pleasure. And whether that behavior, or that stimuli, or that experience deserves that type of value placed on it, our brain is going to allocate those kind of resources to get it, whether it deserves it or not. So when we think about why we get to this place of why we can't avoid something or we can't stop doing something, Ultimately, it is that your value system is hijacked and your brain has decided it's going to place more resources on obtaining this pleasure for the short-term gratification than to abstain for the long-term gratification because that's where your value system is. So when we think about it from the standpoint of other concepts outside of behaviors, one of the great hijackers is, isn't dopamine related is emotion. Emotion can lead people to do a lot of things. I think we've talked about that on, on the podcast before of just how emotions are dictators in ways that we can react and not respond and we can find ourselves doing things that we just don't mean. It's the person that gets elevated and you know loses it and starts yelling and screaming and doing things that they don't mean and then when they calm down, it's so we know that for people who want to control their emotions, you've got to keep your frontal lobe activated. We know that people who begin to get elevated, their frontal lobe will begin to shut down because the body will think that it's in crisis. And so then it will begin to live on more of its primal instincts because the brain doesn't have time or the resources to give to make rational decisions. So the person who gets really elevated and punches someone in the face rather than walking away, it's a great example of how the emotion is hijacked it. So we have dopamine hijacking it. We have emotions hijacking it. And so when our value system has been hijacked, you then find yourself struggling to control yourself to manage your own behaviors. And so then we think, why should we control ourselves? Like, why can't we just go out and do the things that we want to do? Like, ultimately... If our brain has placed a high value on this, why not do it? And we know there are some things that you may be able to do that, but ultimately, if it's a, it's a faulty mechanism, it can't be sustained because it's living on things such as dopamine elevations, which will require you to take more and more and more. It's why one donut's just not enough, while one Oreo is just not enough, while one Dorito is not enough. While one scroll is not enough, while one episode on Netflix is not enough, it's that it takes more and more and more to get the pleasure. And I know it sounds like we're talking about addiction, 
but we're also talking about the ability to control yourself. Now, one thing I want to highlight as we, we get deeper into this concept is that when you're talking about addiction to substances, there's a lot more intricacies that go into this, but this is some of the base level concepts. It's not a moral flaw. If you can't control yourself eating a donut, it's not a moral flaw. It just means that your value system is hijacked. And when we understand this, we understand that the, the reason you do the things that you do, as we've talked about in other podcasts, is because your value system is hijacked. And so to foster this, we have to place limits on ourselves. Jocko Wilnick says it best that humans do not like to be controlled. However, I will say that humans like limits because the limits allow for predictability and the brain longs for predictability because it gives it the ability to allocate resources effectively. The brain does not do well when it cannot predict what's going to occur. And so without limits, it can't predict. If I don't know that when I go to the store, I'm just going to walk into the store and buy my belongings and leave. I don't know what resources I need to live. If I go in there and there people could be stealing, people could be doing all kinds of things. I could be stealing. That could lead me to being allocating resources in a different way, and the brain may not like that. So we're going to have to set limits to be predictable. So I'll say that again. Humans need limits because limits allow for predictions and predictions allow for your brain to allocate resources so that you can function as a human. And it does it all day long. And so when we see limits set, most people flourish very well. And we see this in certain situations and we see it in certain parts of you know different parts of the world where there's all these different things where you can set limits. And you see it in your own life. You set your own limit. You don't do it. You don't you, know, you abstain from this or you only consume this or you don't do this. More times than not, your brain is going to like that because it can predict, okay, I don't need to have the resource to manage this any longer or I only need to allocate this resource right now because that's all I'm going to have to do. Whereas if it's unknown, it doesn't know what to predict. But the downfall that can occur in limit setting and where, where I think a lot of people find themselves struggling to maintain whatever change that they're trying to create is the value that the limit is set on isn't truly a high value. Meaning that for me to truly set a limit that allows me to control myself, the value must be pretty high for me to want to continue to maintain that behavior. So for me to want to abstain from that donut or for me to want to drive the speed limit or for me to want to be to work on time or for me to want to uh, get up at 4.30 and go to the gym or for me to want to... Um, not watch that Netflix show to be able to shut it down, for me to want to read, to gain knowledge, whatever it is, there's got to be a high value on it. And what has occurred in our life is that the value system that's been placed on this is either intrinsic or it's extrinsic. So we have this intrinsic value system, which is set by ourselves, and we have this extrinsic value system, which is set by society. So it's the person that just follows the fad, that is doing something because everyone else is doing it. And even if it's something that's very positive for you, maybe it's a diet, maybe it's um, you know, not doing a certain behavior, maybe it's going to bed at a certain time, maybe it's trying to be a person that gets up early because everybody else in your tribe is doing it. 
even though that could be very helpful to you, if you're only doing it to be part of your tribe, you're going to struggle to maintain this because despite us longing to connect with other people, we're trying to overcome the things that have hijacked us from that. So for example, if I want to wake up early because everyone else in my life is waking up early, I'm going to have to be okay with shutting my technology down early. That technology has hijacked my dopamine system or my value system. So for me to really care about it, I've got to be okay with letting that go and managing that and putting a high value on waking up early. The unfortunate part is the extrinsic motivator, the extrinsic limits, really are predicated on the concepts of shame and guilt. So if you don't do these certain things, you should feel very shameful and guilty about doing it. If you do it, now you're part of the tribe. Congratulations. And we know that despite that being such a great motivator, there, that comes with a lot of emotional expenses. And the brain doesn't do well with that. And ultimately, if you mess up or you make a mistake or you struggle, the exact thing you're attempting to change will be that way you manage your shame and guilt. So if I'm going to put myself on a meal plan because everyone else in my life is on a meal plan and then something goes bad and maybe I have a slip up, rather than only eating that one donut and shifting and getting back to it because it's important to me, I'm going to feel shame and guilty and I'm probably going to go eat another donut and another donut and implode until I'm able to recalibrate again. It may sound funny to you, but this is something that you see so many times. You see it in addiction a lot with people who are like forced into treatment. And so they're motivated, they're in, they're in their treatment, they're doing their things, or they're controlling themselves, and they're doing it because somebody's telling them to do it. But ultimately, people don't like to be controlled. And so then when things go awry, they're going to find that exact thing that's going to make them feel better, even though the motivator or was important at one time. Another example of this, I went to a concert a few years back, and one of the things the performer had them had everybody do is put your cell phone in a bag. And that bag like locked when you're in like the arena. And then when you went out to like the hallway, it turned back on. And there were people around me that were just freaking out. Whether they were going to have their phone out or not, being told that they couldn't have their phone was an anxiety inducer. And so they really struggled to do that. And so some people probably spent their show out in the hallway because they could not maintain that. Because them being off their phone in the show wasn't something they cared about, but it was something that someone else cared about. So that is extrinsic. Intrinsic is you setting your own limits based on your own values. So I hold health important, or I hold knowledge important, or I hold being a better husband important, or being a better son or worker, a boss or leader, whoever it is. Whatever I'm doing, there's a value to it that I find is very important. And when I do that, there's great meaning put on it because it's attached to me as a human, not my tribe. And so I'm willing to give more to do this. I'm willing to go the extra mile. I'm willing to give the extra resource for it and make those sacrifices to set those limits to create that change. Intrinsic limits. Intrinsic values lead to intrinsic limits that lead to long-lasting change. Extrinsic values lead to extrinsic limits, which lead to shame and guilt. Which one do you think is going to maintain itself over time? Shame and guilt? Or motivation and high value? Ultimately, it's always that high value. And so how do we manage this? Like, what do we do? How do you foster this from your intrinsic? So let's say you make these intrinsic things. What happens next? 
One of the biggest things that we see that can help you foster self-control is the ability to challenge yourself to limit your consumption of something or limit your experience of something. This is truly attacking your hijacking system head on. I think a great example of this is seen in the world of technology. As we talked about before, when you struggle with your self-control, your value system is hijacked. And technology is really good at hijacking our value system. Now, this isn't a podcast episode just ripping on technology. We'll probably do one of those later. Who knows? But we know there's a lot of great that comes from the technology. But what we do know is these companies have found it a phenomenal way to really hijack what your value system is. So, for example, it's the person who, when you get on social media, you experience a new thing every time. And so you're scrolling and you're scrolling and you're scrolling and it just brings more stuff, brings more stuff, and then you run to an end. But if you go all the way to the top again and push down, it's going to refresh. New stuff's going to come up again. And so you find yourself really looking to see these new things, what's happening next, what's happening next. Probably the best example is Netflix. Netflix truly understands the self-control principle so instead of finishing an episode hitting the back button going back in hitting you know selecting your episode episode two clicking it going through the whole experience as soon as your episode is ending little thing pops up right at the bottom next episode is going to start in like 30 seconds or something like that boom bang it's on and so before you can even sit down and begin to assess it you're already in it so it's if I had to go back, I'd be thinking, well, do I need to stay up? I need to get up early. I've got this stuff going on at work. You know, whatever it is, I need to stay up past this certain time. But if it's already there, they've left you on a cliffhanger, you'd really like to know. Let's do it. I don't know how many times my wife and I have been watching a show, and we know we need to get up earlier. Yet we're saying it, and it's like, oh my gosh, we've got to finish this episode. We've got to. And then there we are. We're, we're in it. And so the next thing you know, we, you know, we stay up too late. And we feel like crap the next day. When your value system is a product, you must always be conscious of how your value system is being used as currency. And I think we see this in every factor of consumption in life, whether it be with food, whether it be with substances, whether it be with drugs, whether it be with a behavior, whatever it is, whatever we're doing, ultimately, the thing that's doing it is hijacking our value system because our value system is the product. And the more we use it, the more we're going to do it. And the more we're going to do it, the more money they make or the more experiences they have or whatever that looks like. So if you need a reason to place a value, place a value because you just don't want to be a product anymore. And that alone can sometimes be enough value to give. But to go back to what we were talking about, challenges. So challenge yourself. So limit yourself. So I'm only going to watch one episode of Netflix no matter what kind of cliffhanger I'm on. I'm only going to get on social media for an hour. I'm only going to consume one donut. Or I'm only going to eat this one day a week. Or I'm only going to have one type of re- Whatever that looks like for you that you feel like you need. Now, we know that with certain things, with illegal substances and true dopamine elevators to where you can't control it, you're not going to be able to do that. So for the person who 
cannot consume a substance. There's just no way you can consume that. There's great research that's shown that some people can become moderate users of things that they've become addicted to in the past. But we're not truly talking about the addicted brain in this concept of self-control. Rather, we're talking about the hijacked brain, which is a little bit different. Hijacking leads to addiction, but it's not addiction. It's just part of it. So knowing that you can challenge yourself, limiting whatever it is you want to what you want to do, what you're looking to change. So if you don't want to uh, be on your phone all day long, you limit to, limit your phone. Set those limits. Set that self-control. Challenge yourself. I know people who will only look at their email three times a day or they'll only do work from eight to five. Now, I know for some people's jobs and different things, that may be difficult to you, but maybe that's some place where you got to look at your life and say, okay, what am I doing and is this healthy for me in the first place if I'm even contemplating having to set a limit? Because you know when you need to set a limit. You know when your self-control is not working and your, and your value system is hijacked. You're tired. You're worn out. You're burnt out. Your resources are gone. You have these emotional experiences of irritability. You're feeling unwell. You've got all this stuff happening in your life. That is a great example of you being hijacked. And if you're feeling that, then that's probably why you're thinking, I'm going to need to do something different. That may be something you need to think about. Another one is just complete fasting. So complete abstinence for something. Um, Dr. Lemke talks about in her book that for the things like we're talking about today, it takes about four weeks for your dopamine system to reset. So if I've been constantly consuming donuts every single day, getting these dopamine elevations from the donuts, it's good. I'm going to have to abstain from it for about four weeks, for a month, before I'm going to be able to truly move past that. And that's going to move me back in through that pleasure, down into the pain, and through the pain to the end. So you fast. We know that fasting has been around, man, for since, since early, early literature. We know that it happens in numerous religions as a religious experience. And so that is the value that they placed on their fasting. And so it allows people to do pretty amazing things where they go 40 days with maybe just food or whatever that looks like. There's all these different things that you've got to do. To, to achieve that goal but ultimately maybe you fast but no matter what whether you you set a challenge you set a limit you fast whatever you do the first step you've got to do is identify what your value system is what do you hold dear what is important to you and if you don't know that you're never going to be able to control everything you want to control if you don't know what your value system is, a good place to start is being, what do I get fired up about? What is something that matters to me? Is it health? Is it time with family? Is it connections with humans? Is it you know, social justice? Whatever it is, and that's going to help you dictate where to put your resources at and then control yourself by managing your value system. So know your values create those challenges, set those limits, and ultimately you'll find yourself doing this pretty consistently. And challenge yourself frequently. You know, ultimately that's what a meal plan can be if used in the right proper way, is that you're limiting the consumption of certain things for a, a better value in your life. And you'll, you'll feel a lot better. So as you go on this journey of self-control, think about how your value system is hijacked. Even if you don't think you have a value system, which we all do, think about how it's been hijacked. Is it hijacked by technology? Is it hijacked by a substance? 
Is it hijacked by behavior? Is it hijacked by food? Is it hijacked by people? Is it hijacked by work? What is it that you're allocating your resources to and that you're struggling to manage on, a, on your system, which could be harming you? And ultimately, just challenge yourself. See what Set a limit and see how you do with it. Don't let it generate shame and guilt because you're doing it for other people, but let it be a motivator. And if you slip up, try again because we know any type of self-control is hard. From a basic perspective, it, it, it's easy to manage ourselves in certain environments, but from a change perspective, it's very hard. So challenge yourself. So I hope is if this is something that you're on this journey of change, we've been talking about change a lot throughout this season, and I hope that this gives you another tool to create that change. You know, whether you're living out of your structure and not your motivation, whether you're using that motivation as a place for structure and you're having to change that, whether you're just needing to have better self-control and you're needing to limit the things that you consume, you're needing to understand how your brain got hijacked, what you're hijacked on and how to limit it, challenge yourself and control yourself.